morning. Thank you all for coming out today. As you know, it is Memorial Day weekend. It's a day where we uh, take, take a time to look back and, and say thank you to those who have laid down their life for our freedom and, and for uh, the great nation that we live in. And, and it's not just an opportunity to have a, a long weekend and a barbecue, but uh, it is a time to reflect on what people did for us as a society. So I would like to, if, if you would join me in standing, we are going to start this morning by saying a Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag, and then we will continue our service. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. You may be seated. As Pastor mentioned, if you are a first-time guest, we want you to feel welcome. Hopefully you will have the opportunity to talk to some of our people here today and grab one of those blue bags on the back um, and fill out that guest uh, slip on the bulletin. Um, we do have a few free chairs left. We ordered some new chairs um, that make sitting in here so much more wonderful. Um, but there are some free chairs up in the front lobby of the church. If you need some of the old uh, metal chairs, you could make use of them. There is about 40 left. You can go ahead and grab some of those. Um, we are going to be having a cleaning party. As the uh, construction gets cleaned up, gets finished up, we are going to be needing to do a great deal of cleaning up in there, wiping down walls, wiping down windows. Um, uh, details will be forthcoming on that. If you, if you want to participate in that, be listening. We will have great opportunity for you to come and help out. Um, we are going to be doing a five-day club blitz this summer. Uh, because we don't quite have the facilities normal for VBS, we are going to be doing a little bit different, and we are going to be doing it in uh, uh, members' houses. I think this is going to be an awesome opportunity to work with um, uh, Good News Club, work with CEF, and, and, and interacting the community into our summer programs. Uh, if you have any questions, please talk to my wife, Anna Barup. Or, or pastor or myself, we will have an awesome opportunity to do this. But I would encourage you to consider opening up your house for that uh, event. Also, baby bottles. We have um, the opportunity to raise money for the Pregnancy Resource Center. There's still a few baby bottles back there. If you want to grab one and fill it with change, with folding money, with large checks, with mutual funds and stocks, I don't think that's convenient. But uh, we are looking to raise money to help out the Pregnancy uh, Center of Lapeer. Also, the teens will be going this Saturday to a Share Your Faith training. Um, it's a partnership we got with CEF also. It's an opportunity to go and uh, learn how to be a testimony to those around you, how to share your faith and witness to those. Uh, if you have not yet signed up, please talk to me today if you're interested in going. Pastor? We've been creative with what we've been doing around here. I wanted to inform you that every, most of the things going on are still business as usual. We still have our ladies' Bible study throughout the week, men's Bible study throughout the week, uh, midweek prayer service, and um, activities. We've had to, like I say, do some adjusting. And thank you for all the leaders that have been patient with um, not being in your regular place, possibly. We've had to move some classes, and, and um, even the volleyball's been outside. Thursday night volleyball at 7 o'clock. There's a nice little plug for that. 
And, uh, but everything's going on as much as possible that we can do. Please do be in prayer for the workers that are working on the sanctuary, as well as the many volunteers. Speaking of many volunteers, I need some guys to come and move the pews tomorrow. So 9 a.m., I will bribe you with donuts um, at 9 o'clock. And we've got several pews to move. And um, we're going to be cleaning out the sanctuary and the balcony this coming week to get ready for the upcoming work that's going to start at the end of the week on the floor in there. And then just for a quick update, I know many of you are following the Facebook page, and that's very helpful to see pictures. But we've got some drywall work left, uh, finishing up of that. And we're going to have carpet going in in some places the first of next week. So in eight days, some carpet going in out there. And... uh, but quite a bit more to do. The pews are slotted to come in and be installed uh, the week of June 24th, and that will be one of the last things that we do before we move back in there. So I'm not sure exactly how long it will be after that. There will be some painting and some audiovisual things we'll have to figure out, but um, do be praying for that. It's going to be a very busy next four weeks. I'm going to ask our ushers if they will come to the front, please. Do appreciate the faithful giving of our attenders and members here at Calvary. We very much so talk about the fact that people pray about and want to worship by giving. And God wonderfully has given us a local church that's the best avenue for us to give in that way. So thank you for that. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you for the opportunity to meet. And of course, in my head, there are several things that go on of what we'd like to accomplish during this hour. As we sing the songs, I would pray in advance and even while we're singing that they would not be in vain the wonderful, beautiful truths that we're able to sing and the beauty of the songwriters and those that have worked hard to prepare uh, to lead us in song. We thank you that we can worship in that way. Would you please receive our worship from our lips to your ears, Father? We praise you that we have something worth worshiping. Uh, We have someone worth worshiping. We thank you for giving your son, Jesus Christ. We praise you that he willingly went to the cross for us to pay for our sins so that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We praise you, God, for that. We thank you that we have something so special in a Savior. We praise you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As I've already prayed today, that the Holy Spirit would be clearly involved in our time here. And I would reiterate that now. Just like uh, uh, weaving through in and out everyone that's here with the Holy Spirit have exactly for the hearts of individuals here of what he would have. We praise you for that. We ask you to help us to understand the seriousness of what you've given us here. Just the small amount of time in this world that we have and the task that is before us. The importance of your church that you have given and we praise you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for the worship that's going to go on at this moment through giving. We praise you for how you take care of us in incredible ways. Forgive us for grumbling about what we don't have, what we'd like to have more of. Allow us, Heavenly Father, to look at how blessed we are. And we thank you that we can worship by dropping something back in the plate to reflect the appreciation that we have when we see that you are the giver of all good things, including a paycheck. God, we would ask that you bless the word of God very clearly as as we open it and look into it, that we would be changed people because of it. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to be here in this place. We pray that you would be pleased with what you see. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
us, would you?
Revelation 19, 11 to 13. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God.
may be seated. Gordy team, would you help me with these stands and microphones to take them down the floor? Thank you. Kids are dismissed to Children's Church. Kids, make your way on out up through the fifth grade to Children's Church. And if everybody else would hand in your, your, not your permission slip, your attendance slip to the outside aisles, please. Ushers are coming up to collect those. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you are here. Please hand that in, and uh, we'll send you something in the mail. But make sure you get one of those blue guest bags. It is common that when I come across God's word, I will be judging it myself, not in a carnal way at all. How hard of a message is this going to be for people to hear? What should we highlight? What should we, you know, pass over and not focus on so much? I do trust that as God has worked very specifically in my heart, um, as I've walked through this passage, that it will be a blessing to you as well. I'm going to ask you to bow with me one more time for prayer. We'll ask for God's blessing as we approach the preaching. Heavenly Father, we do come to you with the request that things would stay out of the way. I understand the things that are pulling for the attention of folks that would be listening to this message today, whether it be over the radio, whether it be here in-house, whether it be sometime down the road, someone going online and listening. I think that what Jesus Christ has given us with his teaching is so sweet and so special. It becomes more colorful the, the more I study it. And I would ask God that you would allow it to affect our hearts and affect our actions on this day. Pray, this, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oftentimes when you have a group together, there are things that you will do to maybe draw in their attention. Even in preaching, I have something that I look at that's called a hook. That's, tried to, that's to try to get the attention of individuals at the start. I know most of you are expert listeners. I even heard last week somebody said the service was too short last week. And I'm not going to give you their names. I don't want you to give them any dirty looks in case you disagree. But there are things that we do to, with a crowd sometimes that can be sometimes um, entertaining even. We don't have entertainment in our preaching, but I have had the experience of being with crowds gathered together over the years, and there are sometimes icebreakers that are done. One icebreaker to get the crowd um, interested or maybe just to um, um, have a little bit of fun is a game called Sit Down If. You start, I'm not going to do it today. I thought about doing it and giving out a prize, but I'm not going to give you a prize. So if you could just, without a prize incentive, try to picture what I'm talking about. The game Sit Down If, we start with everybody standing. Don't stand now. But everybody standing in that game. And then you read Sit Down If, and there's a whole list of things that you might say. How many of you have done a game like that before? Raise your hand. Okay, I see. Okay, quite a few. And there's always a prize at the end. I did it one uh, time years ago, and it was a little variation because they had one individual who was the main speaker for the conference of that year. And they were going to have you sit down if you had this in common with the main speaker. So then the incentive was, well, I want to see if I'm a whole lot like this guy who we're coming to you know, listen to. And they got all the way through it. And you're thinking, sometimes you're thinking, you know, well, how much am I like him? And is my answer going to, you know, reflect that? What are they going to ask? Sometimes you might even think, I think I've got a shot at this. 
I think I might be the last one standing, and I've got it figured out. When we come to the Sermon on the Mount, I think there, we as individuals, when we read it ourselves, and many of you are familiar with Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, there are some sections that we come to that are a challenge for us. We don't like to talk about that too much. And there are other sections that we might approach and we might think, you know what? I'm feeling pretty good about this part. I think if we're doing that sit-down-if game, I'm going to stay standing for quite some time. Not to get too far ahead of myself, but I mean, today, right in the title of the sermon is the word murder. So some of you are thinking, well, I'm going to keep on standing because I haven't checked the box on that one for sure. Some have read a little bit deeper. And you've seen that it's not just about murder, but it's about anger and about hatred. Some of you are thinking, you know what? I think I'm pretty good on these here. I think I'm going to stay standing while I know some others are going to have to sit down. And I'm watching that one over there. If they don't sit down, I know they're fibbing on this one. But I want to suggest to us that what Jesus Christ is getting at in this teaching is going to put every one of us in a place where we have to sit down. And I want you to be the judge. I want you to look at this. Even this morning, I considered getting out a, um, a thesaurus to see different words for hatred and for anger because we're very, very good at spinning and using the words we like. Well, hate's a strong word, so I'm not sitting down. I don't hate anybody. But let's get some different adjectives in there to replace that word hate. Might we have to sit down? Anger. I'm not angry. I'm never angry. Just ask, you know, ask anybody. I'm a happy person. And yet when Jesus Christ gets to the heart of what he wants us to know, God expects from his children, it goes beyond just someone who's got a short temper. What we'll see in God's word today is that the quality of our relationship with God, and this might be controversial for some of you, the quality of our relationship with God is going to be dependent upon our relationship with others. The audience that Christ was speaking to knew nothing of the local church. I'm always shocked when I come across this area of the local church, and there was nothing that was hinting towards that when you study the Old Testament. It was a surprise to so many people. And yet the local church is God's plan for today. You cannot get around it. There are not too many things that I get where I want to have a debate or argue um, when I hear it, that things that get said where I want to debate it. But when someone says, I will never be part of a church again, now I know where they're coming from. I've had long conversations, and I know people, and likely you know people who have said that. Jesus, yes. Church, no. And that's wrong. God's plan is for the local church. But here's the trick. We are all in the local church supposed to be Christ-like, but we are not all like Christ. In fact, some of us are really far away. And I've got my hand up as first one in line there. And so when we come to this area of relationships with others, that is very, very difficult. The quality of our relationship with God is going to be dependent upon our relationship with others, and specifically today in how we deal with anger. Anger is of extreme importance to God, 
And most people underestimate the seriousness of it. All that to take us to our text. If you're not already there, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 in your Bibles. Before we read, starting in verse number 21, I want to just back up and cover one verse that we talked about last time in Matthew 5. And it's a verse that many of us are familiar with. I think there were many people when they heard it, maybe they were shocked, thinking that sounds like a tough standard. Maybe we hear it today and we, we say, well, yeah, we know those Pharisees. They were all hypocrites anyway. But it's a good jumping off place for us in our study today because Jesus Christ has just now said that the righteousness of these people has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. We talked last week about legalism. We talked about what God expects Standards that we should put upon ourselves. Standards that we do not have a right to put upon others. And interpreting the word of God correctly. Jesus Christ talks about their righteousness. And then Jesus Christ very specifically goes into six examples. Six examples of what he means by righteousness. And none of these are softballs, if I can use that expression. None of these are easy ones you can just knock out of the park. I think that will become very clear and evident by, we, by the time we get to the end of our passage today. The scribes and the Pharisees that were in Jesus' day attributed part of their righteous lives by the fact that they had kept the sixth commandment. And you and I say, whoa, congratulations on not murdering anybody. You guys are really the standard. They attributed part of their righteousness to that. There in Matthew chapter 5, look with me at verse number 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. Now we're going to stop right there, and we're going to talk about this as really our first point, and it's the shorter point, verse number 21. What we find here is the basic concept. This is the basic concept. Jesus Christ says, you have heard it said by those of old. The law says, do not murder. This is not controversial stuff at first sight, right? Everybody can get on board with this. If my community is not on board with this law, I'm probably going to find another community to live in. It's kind of a no-brainer. Jesus says in his words here, it was said to those of old. I want to point out just two things about verse number 21 in this basic concept. First of all, we need to start out with these words, what it was said to those of old. In Jesus' day, we need to understand that the language they were speaking is different than the language in which they spoke 2,000 years earlier. When we look at the Old Testament, the law that Jesus is talking about, well, here we go, class, for those of you who are students. What language was the Old Testament mainly written in the language of Hebrew? In Hebrew. They didn't speak Hebrew anymore when Jesus is standing, or is standing on the mountainside. And they were very, very dependent upon the teachers, upon those who had studied that language in Jesus' day, they likely spoke Aramaic. So Jesus says those of old, their dependency upon tradition and the teachers was heavy. 
kind of reminds us of the Reformation when uh, they did not have a Bible in Martin Luther's day in, in Martin Luther's day in the language of the common people. They were very dependent upon what the person standing up front would tell them. And I hope you are thankful to live in a day where you have the Bible in your own language, where we have commentaries, we have books. You can press a button on your device and someone with a wonderful voice will read you the Bible. It's a wonderful day we live in. I think we take it for granted. And we'll see that God is not content with them simply avoiding the action of murder. And when I, when I talk about teaching the Bible, I oftentimes will say that there are so many things that are debatable. And you don't know this, but I'm a mind reader of sorts. And I know sometimes when I say something, some of you are going, well, that's debatable, just like that. Let me talk to my spouse after church today. We'll talk about this. That's debatable. There's a ton in this message today of, well, that's debatable. But I want to encourage you not to get down into the weeds and miss the main message. Are you ready for this very, very tough message? Because for Jesus to say, thou shalt not kill, is a tough message. But what he is saying is that God is equally concerned. He's equally concerned with murder as he is with hatred. And he's equally concerned with murder as he is with anger. And later on in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, it says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Now, if you're like me and you read a laundry list like that, you might think to yourself, really? We're putting slander in the same category as murder? And if you study your New Testament, you will find common lists like that where Jesus Christ is talking not so much about the action itself, but Jesus Christ, and this is where he's going in this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, he's going straight to the heart. Christ says it is not good enough for you to check the box and say, I've never committed a murder. Christ is saying, God, for the people that are in his family, wants them to understand that it's not just good enough to not commit the action. God wants his family to have a heart that is pleasing to him. All of these listed sins in Matthew 15, 19 and every other sin are produced primarily because man is born with a degenerate heart. We are all born sinners. It is only by the grace of God that we are anything different. And just a quick note, this is not referring to uh, when Jesus talks about thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. It's not talking about accidental deaths. Don't get stuck down in those weeds. It's not talking about warfare. We spent some time not too long ago in our Bible knowledge hour talking about is warfare something that a Christian can be a part of? I'd encourage you to go online and listen to that if you have questions about it. Christ is not talking about self-defense. He is speaking about intentional killing here. All right, that's the basic concept. Let's cover the last five verses and look at the broadened concept, the broadened concept. I'm going to read 23 through 26, and then we'll go back through it and slow down. Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment 
Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, judge and the judge put to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. All right, let's walk through those and look at this concept a bit bigger. Don't think you're misquoting me by saying Jesus is saying hating someone is the same as murder. That's what Christ is saying here. And I consider it um, a, a win if it drives you to go and study further. We're going to break verse 22 down in three different sections. We'll go fast through them, so don't get too nervous about it. A, the danger of your anger with your brother. First of all, Jesus talks about the danger of your anger with your brother. Condemning the anger that a person is going to have towards another is what Jesus is getting at here. And so the message that God is giving is not just thou shalt not kill. The message is if you're a child in my family, I not only care about what you do, but I care about what you think. A consistent attitude of anger is not to reside in our hearts. I just heard yesterday the testimony of a young person that struggled with sin in recent years. And they said, I was angry all the time. A consistent attitude of anger is not to be in the heart in the life of the child of God, or a consistent, repeated attitude of hatred. So first, Jesus talks about the danger of anger with your brother, and then next, he talks about the consequence for, and I call it here, non-righteous anger. The consequence for anger that is not a righteous anger. You see, anger, either immediately or else eventually is going to lead to some kind of a verbal expression. Very possibly a verbal abuse. Now I call this non-righteous anger, and it is a shame that in traditional Christianity, we have tended to mark all anger as sinful, because that is not the teaching of the Bible. By the way, great study for you. If you're taking notes, I'll give you some references that you might start with when looking at what the Bible says about how we should be angry. Be ye angry and sin not, the Bible says. Here's some of those references. Psalm 4, Psalm 139, Matthew 21, Mark 3, and Ephesians 4. Psalm 4, Psalm 139, Matthew 21, Mark 3, and Ephesians 4. The teaching that all anger is sinful is not a Bible teaching. But do not think that you've got an out. You very much so have to understand that you are a steward of that, and you need to respond, be responding in a way that's going to be helpful to God's kingdom. 
And then the last part of the verse, anger that is nursed has consequences that expand. As the anger in you is nursed, the consequences actually get bigger. Look at, we'll read all of 22 again, where it says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So the consequences get bigger the longer we let it go on. And we need to understand that this is going beyond simple name calling or even name thinking. Because I know some of you don't say it out loud. You wait till you get in your car and then you say it out loud, right? This is going beyond simple name calling. When we get to this last step, it is actually an accusation of a person's moral life. And this is what Jesus is talking about here is the expression, damn you. When someone will damn someone, the idea is that they wish they would die, they wish they would go to hell. And that is strong. Now don't don't be too arrogant. Don't think I've not done that in the last week or so, or even beyond that. Maybe you've never done that before, but look at the progression that we find here. As anger is nursed, as it is not dealt with, it gets worse, and the consequences also get worse. Wishing that someone were dead. And I think that many of us are just too polite for that, right? You're just too polite to say die or go to hell. You're too polite for that. You would just say, I just wish that you would move to another country and I would never see you or talk to you again. That's not against the law. Certainly Jesus has no problem with that, right? I want to suggest to you that when you dig down into the heart that Jesus is very, very concerned about that. A brother in Christ that you want to never talk to again, never see again. I know I'm rubbing some of you the, some of you the wrong way. I understand that. Jesus puts the rubber on the road here. Along my study, I found a great quote that says, the two best times to keep your mouth shut are when you are swimming and when you are angry. I think that's good advice. When we look at anger, we understand. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus said anger is murder. That's what Jesus says. So don't misunderstand these next three things I'm about to say. Anger contains the seeds of murder. Abusive language that he talks about next. Abusive language contains the spirit of murder and cursing language. That one a little bit ago when I was talking a couple times and some of you said, did he say what I think he said? Yeah. Cursing language expresses the desire for murder. And Jesus Christ teaches, for those who are in my family, I do not want the seeds of murder. I do not want the spirit of murder. And please stay away from the desire of murder because if you find yourself in a place where you might not get caught and you've got a weapon in your hand, you might follow through with it. Practically, I have no way to do this research. Practically, of all the murders that have taken place in the past 50 years, how much do you think that number would decrease percentage-wise if we could take anger and hatred out of it? If we take anger and hatred out of it, do you think it's going to be cut by more than half? Maybe more than 75%? 
you don't have anger, you don't have hatred, likely we're not going to have near as many deaths coming from murder. Now, did you notice that in the escalation of anger, there's the escalation of punishment? Did you see that there in the verse? First of all, it talked about judgment, and then it talked about the counsel, and then it talked about, did you see the last one? Hellfire. There's an escalation of punishment for these things. Next, wonderfully, Jesus gives us the solution to the problem. The solution to the problem. The Bible never tells us what not to do without telling us what to do. And beautifully, even though the church is not on the scene here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus Christ needs to know, or he, he already knows and tells us what we need to do for a church to flourish, for a church to not have anger stopping their forward momentum. Look at verses 23 and 24 again. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I mentioned earlier that we're going to talk about worship. Worship in our day looks quite a bit different than worship in Jesus' day. And that's going to come through in what Christ says here. Because when Jesus Christ says, stop what you're doing with your worship and go, he's talking about when they were bringing some kind of a sacrifice, likely an animal sacrifice. Stop what you're doing. Don't go through with it. Go find your brother. Get things right. Because God is not going to be impressed with your outward worship if your inside is not agreeing. And that's not an excuse for you not to go to church. You've got to figure it out. And I'll help you. And your brothers and sisters around you will help you. It's not an excuse to give church someplace in the past. Jesus Christ says, stop your worship and make this right. The Jewish culture is very, very different. But I, want, but I have to say this. Did you notice the order of who had something against somebody else? Did anybody notice that? Shake your heads yes or no. If you didn't, that's fine. Because I hadn't really paid too much attention to it before. The order of who has something against another. And you need to stop your worship and take care of that. Because what it says here, what Jesus says here is, if your brother has something against you, You need to stop your worship and go make that right. I told you Christ is going to set the bar very, very high here, didn't I? Because if I'm ticked off at somebody, I get that I might not be able to sing very well in the service. I can get it out, you know, but begrudgingly, because folks are watching. I get that. I can't worship if I'm bothered. That's not what Jesus says here. Jesus says, if you come to an understanding, and let's bring the Holy Spirit into this very clearly, If you come to the understanding that there is a brother or sister that has a fault with you, it's not that you've got a big problem with them. You understand they have something against you. Stop. Go to them. Very practically, this is kind of what it looks like. If you're driving to church and the Holy Spirit brings it to your heart, I think that person's got something against me. I've noticed something going on. 
Maybe they're trying to tell me something. Maybe they're not. So you've got to use some wisdom. But you stop. Pull your car over on your way to church. Call them up on the cellular phone and say, hey, you know, I'm just, I'm not really sure if our relationship is what it's supposed to be as brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not sure if there's something between us or not. I might be wrong, but I just wanted to talk to you about that. And I wanted to make, let you know that I am not content to go on unless things are right between you and between me. Jesus Christ clearly says worship is not taking place. It's not being carried on if there is anger within. Because when God looks at our worship, you know, I, I get that he hears our song. But God's looking right past that. And some of us that don't sing as well as we'd like say, Amen. God looks right past our words and looks right to our heart. You're not worshiping if you're walking with a spirit of anger or hatred towards someone else. Now, everything's debatable, right? That's debatable. That's debatable. I get it. I understand this. I understand there's only so much we can do in some situations. There are some times when a brother or a sister in Christ will not, will not allow that relationship to continue. But you need to do what you can do. All right? Look at God's word. Understand that you are a steward of that once the Holy Spirit reveals it to you that there's something between you and a sister, you and a brother, you are a steward of that, and maybe you can't resolve everything, but you should do what is in, the, what is in your power to do. Do I need to track down everyone that I have ever offended? Holy smokes, I'd have to retire early, right? And go and do that. I can't do that. And I don't think that's what Christ is teaching here. Because we see when Jesus gives the solution, he talks about a time frame, doesn't he? It doesn't mean that you can't go back in time and try to make things right. But when Jesus teaches about this, he talks about making things right quickly, not letting them go on. And there is a place where maybe we've allowed, we have to allow love to cover a multitude of sins. I know many of you have done that with me been a problem there, an offense maybe, and you said, you know what, we're going to let love cover that sin. Many of you have done it with others. That's a brother or sister in Christ. I am not one who likes to have people offended and bothered by me. I like to, I mean, that, that drives me kind of nuts for that. When I got done with college, a couple years after, I was told by a friend of mine, oh yeah, so-and-so, and he named another guy who was a preacher boy in college. He said, man, you used to bother him so much, and he listed what I did. And I'm not going to tell you what it was because I'm not comfortable with you having that information, okay? <laughs> there was a guy, his name was Ryan, and somebody told me a couple years later, man, he was so bothered. He would see that on a regular basis. He was so bothered. It wasn't sin. It wasn't trying to bother him. But when I found that out, I just thought to myself, oh, what can I do? I know he's pastoring down in the Chicago area. Apparently, he's been able to move on, right, without me going and making this thing right. I still have in my head, though, if I see him someday, what can I do? What's within my grasp? Now, having said that, here we go. That's debatable. That's deba here we go. You ready? That's debatable. 
there are some things that are probably, and you need the wisdom of God and maybe from counsel around you, there are some things that are going to be better if you don't dig them back up. Maybe people have allowed, been able to move on, and that's going to be like tearing, you know, a Band-Aid off of a wound, causing more problems. I think it was Billy Graham's wife that said, every cat knows that there are some things that are better left buried, is what she said. So you study that out, and I'm not giving you an out to not take care of anger or problems. I'm just asking you to be tender to the Holy Spirit. Some people will give themselves a pass on this by saying, I've not done anything wrong. And isn't it beautiful what Jesus does here? It's not, it's not that you're mad at them. They're mad at you. And, he did, and if you say, well, I haven't done anything wrong, or here's the common expression today, are you ready for it? I'm not sure if I'm going to mark this out of vocabulary or not, but I might. How about the expression, well, that's their problem. It's not my problem. Well, that's their problem. Hey, did you know that so-and-so? Well, that's their problem. The Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us that it is our problem when there is a brother or a sister that has something against us, even if you're not sure what it is. Christ gives us a solution. He says, it's your problem too, and you must not, you must not leave a brother or sister on his own to deal with that. We're out of time, and I got at least two more points to make. But if you understand what anger and hatred can do to a person when it is bottled up, some of you can write a chapter in a book. Anger and hatred bottled up, the toll it takes physically, mentally, not to mention spiritually. And when you understand that, and you say you love the brethren, you love your brother or sister, you will not be able to allow them to remain in that state. You will not say it serves them right. You will not say that's their problem. You will say, I'm not happy to continue with something between us. You might say, will you forgive me? Forgive me are very, very powerful words. It puts it right back on them. And then hopefully at that point, you're doing everything that you can do. All right, let's cut to the end here. Look at verses 25 and 26. Come to terms quickly with your, here's a different word, with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus Christ says there is not only a danger in allowing anger and hatred to remain between your brother or sister. There is a danger if you allow it to, reign, to stay between yourself and your enemy. Now we need to get that thesaurus out again because how many of you say, I don't have any enemies? Well, let's go and ask the folks around you. The danger of staying angry with your adversary, the toll that will take within you. The emphasis that Jesus gives is, here it is if you're taking notes, Here's the emphasis, take care of it now or take care of it quickly. That's what Jesus is saying. 
And that applies both for the brother and for the enemy. Take care of this quickly. Do not think that that problem is just going to disappear. Many of you have learned the lesson that if you, be, if you bury it, sometimes it will come back with more heads very, very quickly. And you won't be able to figure out what in the world is that person so upset about. Take care of it quickly. And then let me give this warning, and I have no idea how many this will apply to. A warning that there is for some people when they have someone, maybe an adversary, or someone that they're not close with anymore, and that one has a wrongful offense. So they've been, maybe they're, they're wrong about something, and they're ticked off about it. Here's the warning. For some people, there is a little bit of carnal satisfaction when you have an enemy who's going through that. I've done what I can do. Serves them right. Or maybe their name gets said in a certain setting and you think, oh no, I know all about that person there. And the judging that takes place. We have to wrap our time up with this teaching of Jesus Christ. I'm going to wrap it up with this one statement. It's a reminder that no matter how great you are, God had every reason to hate you because of your sin. God, who is holy, had every reason to hate you, but instead God chose to reconcile us. And that is our example. The price that was paid by God the Father, willingly giving His Son to be crushed. God the Son, praying in the garden, if this cup can be removed from me, take it. Yet not my will but Thine be done. Why? He had every right to hate me and to hate you. And He chose instead to reconcile us as His sons and daughters. If you don't get anything else, and if you're wanting to debate all kinds of stuff about this teaching of Jesus Christ, don't skip that line because it really does bring things into perspective. All right, what can you do with this? First of all, just understand this. Hear this. Thus saith the Lord, God's law is that anger and hatred not dealt with biblically are equal to murder in God's eyes. Let's move on fast, because that's a tough one. Number two, as you become aware there is something between you and another, deal with it quickly. Deal with it quickly. I know there's only so much that we can do in some situations, but everyone can do something. This is why it is so, so important to be tender to the Holy Spirit when we talked last time about grieving the, about not grieving the Holy Spirit. If you've got sin in your life, you're not going to be tender to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. You're not going to be able to pay attention to this. And when we're walking as close as we can with our God, He's going to nudge you. He's going to say, you need to take care of this. Did you see that look that person's spouse gave you? There's something going on. Take care care of it take care of it quickly take care of it in humility as I know 
if I bring that up, it's going to cause another fight. You know, there's going to be a level of trusting God here, right? Is it fun to take care of disagreements and, and offenses between brothers and sisters? No, I, I don't know anybody that's looking forward to that. Guess what I get to do on Monday? Get to go to so-and-so. They are ticked off at me. Man, oh, man, I'm going to put it on speed dial so I can get that call out first thing. Nobody's looking forward to it. There's an amount of trust that comes in. You respond in humility, and you trust that God is going to do whatever he wants to have done. And by the way, they might not be there at that moment. What I mean by that is you might go to them, you might do everything that you can, and it might be a year before God works in their heart to forgive you. And that's okay. You do what is right, no matter what you feel might happen, no matter what that consequence might be right away. And then, here we go, we should just do another sermon, right? Replace anger with patience. Replace hate with love. This is the biblical pattern that we find of putting off and putting on. God says, put off these things. Well, then we're left with a void. What do I do with this? If I put off anger, I can fill it with patience. Pouring patience into others. Do you know why? Do you know why you're patient with them? Do you know why you're patient with me? Because God has been patient with you. If you stop remembering your offense against God, if you fail, to, if you get to the point where you think that God added you to his team because you were bringing something to the team by saving you, you're going to miss this. You had nothing to offer God. And even after you come to Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness of your sins, if you have done that, God is patient with you. He is patient with you. He looks at you and you know it. Praise the Lord for his patience and replace hate with love. There's no place for hate in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. He does not hate you. He loves you. And so you lose any excuse to hate a brother. You lose any excuse to hate an enemy. Very practically, you want something to do, read through 1 John Read through 1 John. In fact, I, I pushed the button to play this past week on 1 John. I think it took about 17 minutes for me to listen to the entire thing. I've gone through it several times in the past couple weeks. 1 John, how much God loves us, how we are to love the brothers. When I think about anger, I mean, you know, the illustrations are out there, right? I mean, there, there are just so many of them. And when I think about the area of road rage, probably several here have a story about road rage. I had one situation come up um, a few years ago. It wasn't a road rage situation, but in my mind, I'm thinking, what could go wrong? So I'll tell you what happened, and then we'll close with prayer. It was when there was construction going on on the main street here in our town. And as construction was going on, there was a crossroad where it used to have one straight lane, one turning lane to the right, one turning lane to the left. And then the fourth lane was for oncoming traffic. 
Well, they had gone down here by the gas station just down the road, and they had made it just two lanes. You got one lane to go out, one lane to come in. And they didn't mark it all that well, in my humble opinion. They might have put a sign a half mile back somewhere, but it wasn't marked very well. And I can remember the drama every day of coming up and thinking, what's going to happen today? Is there going to be a turning lane today? Is there going to be a problem? What's going on? And the... And if you know me, I'm not a real controversial guy, so this was very hard for me to do. When I pulled up one day, and they had taken away the three lanes over here, it turned into one lane, but somebody had pulled up there, and they were going to not turn right, they were going to go straight. So they decided to get in the lane over here on the left. And then other cars were pulled up next to him. So what do we have? We have a lane going out, a lane coming in, but we have cars blocking them going the same direction. Yeah, I didn't know what to do. And there's plenty of folks in our wonderful town that carry guns, so I really wasn't sure how much I should say. I choose, I knew how long the light was, and I choose to get out of my car and go up and let the person know that they are sitting in a traffic, in a lane that's for oncoming traffic. And as I walk up, I make sure they see me ahead of time so I didn't sneak up on them. And I go up, and I just let, so I got, what, 12 seconds to figure out what I'm going to say, you know. And, of course, I'm, you know, that wasn't enough time for me. I needed a good day and a half. <laughs> and I walk up, and I just I, I go up there, and the guy puts his window down partly and gives me a look. And I just say, I said, hey, you cannot turn left out of this lane right here. I thought he was wanting to turn left. And he said, I'm not turning left. I'm going straight. Just like that. And so, you know, I was like, well, he's not going to shoot me probably. But I just said, I don't think you understand. You are sitting in oncoming traffic. As soon as this light turns, you're going to have cars coming at you, and you're not going to have anywhere to go, and we're going to have gridlock in this metropolis that we live in. And so I think he finally clicked. I, th- you know, I think it was his wife that told him, hey, listen to him, honey, like that. He took a left right into a business right there, and things went on just fine. Let me tell you what is inside of me. Here's how I'm built. I want to sit in my car and say, what's going to happen? Oh, that could be a problem. Oh, dear. Well, my lane's clear, so I think I'm going to be okay, but everybody who wants to go eastbound, well, they're going to be in a pickle here. Oh, boy. And I chose not to do that. And I didn't get shot, and, you know, things moved on just fine. Listen to me. You need to love your brother and sister so much that you will not allow them to continue sitting in a place where there's danger coming. And you need to have such an understanding of the teaching of God's word on the danger of hatred and anger that you will not even give it a day. You won't even let the sun go down upon that wrath that you might have. What does this look like for you? You have to be tender to the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, before the church was ever established, gave us the recipe for how not we could shrink and be smaller and less effective, but for how we, as all kinds of different people, can get along with other different people and shine a light that this world so desperately needs to see. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I praise you that one of the things that your son was to do when he came to this world was he was to teach. How beautiful those words recorded in red oftentimes in Bibles. The words of Jesus Christ. 
I thank you for his example that even though he was smacked in the face, even though he was beaten, even though his trial to lead him to his death was a false trial, I thank you that he was an example to us. God, I thank you for what you have given us in an example in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I give you, I, I praise you for the example that I have seen in mature brothers and sisters, how they have been hurt, how they have been offended, and I've been able to observe them and how they respond, and how beautiful a picture that is of their Savior. God, would you allow me to live that? Heavenly Father, would you allow us as a church family to live that? With heads bowed and eyes closed, as the piano plays through, we're going to give you a chance to pray. One thing you might pray about, if you're here today, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Jesus Christ came to earth. His main reason was to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And if you've never asked him to be your Savior, you can ask for forgiveness today. And based on the shed blood of Christ who conquered sin and conquered death, you can become a son or a daughter of God today if you'll just ask him. Everybody else, I don't know what's in your heart. Take a moment to talk to God about it. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're just going to sing this last song and then we're going to dismiss to Sunday school for the kids and ABF for the adults. If you want to stay in here and just sit and pray for a little bit or if you need to go talk to somebody, do that when we're done. Let's sing Give Thanks with a Grateful Heart. grateful heart give thanks to the holy one give thanks because he's given jesus christ his son give thanks with a grateful heart give thanks to the holy